I believe the staff team that work alongside the students here in the EU. Glad you could join us for week 12. Here's something to think about. The Christian hope, the thing that Christians are looking forward to, is not go to heaven when you die. The Christian hope, what Christians are looking forward to, is not go to heaven when you die. At best, at very, very best, that is maybe a short-term temporary step in God's plans. But at worst, go to heaven when we die, at worst that is a massive underselling of what God actually has in store for people who follow Jesus. The Christian hope is not go to heaven when you die. The Christian hope is that you will walk out of your grave with a transformed, resurrected, physical, immortal body. That's what every believer in Jesus has been promised. That's what every believer in Jesus looks forward to. That's what's already happened to the Lord Jesus himself and what is the certain future for everybody who follows Jesus in faith, 100%. Christian hope is not go to heaven when you die. Much more than that. Now, do you find that a bit hard to believe? Do you find it a bit hard to believe that actually one day you would walk out of your grave, that your, your body would be reformed and reanimated by God, eternal, immortal? Do you find that hard to believe? Well, you're not the first. When Paul wrote this letter that we have in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, when he wrote this to a bunch of Christians living in this place in Greece called Corinth, some of them were very sceptical. They were sceptical to the point of actually deciding that Christians couldn't be or wouldn't be raised from the dead. And Paul has four points that he makes to them in the second half of 1 Corinthians 15. We started looking at the first half last week. He has four points, and I've, because I know it's week 12 and you're trying to cram lots and lots of information into your brains to get through the exams and assignments and essays that are coming, I've reduced these points to one word each to make it as simple as possible, to try to wedge it into your, your consciousness, right? The four words, I think, are these. The resurrection of the dead is possible. It's certain. Does it help if I add a sort of tone to the word? Certain. It's necessary. And it's planned. The resurrection of the dead is possible, certain, necessary, and planned. So that's what we're going to explore those four words today. If you've got your Bible here, it'd be really helpful to open it up because I'm going to jump around the second half of 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit or call it up on your phone, biblegateway.com or whatever Bible app you like to use, or just nudge the person next to you who's already falling asleep. Nudge them a little bit just to say, hey, can I look on with you? That might work as well. First of all, the resurrection from the dead is possible. Have a look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 35. You can see where Paul talks about this scepticism he's encountering amongst them. He says, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, I often have got asked that very question by students here at Sydney Uni. What, what will the resurrection body be like? But notice, that is a question of curiosity. That's not how you should read this verse. This verse should be read as a deeply sceptical question. Ha! With what sort of body could you possibly be raised from the dead? What a ridiculous notion. 
that's the tone with which it should be read. Because look at the very next thing he says. How foolish, that is how foolish of you to be so sceptical. You think you know so much? You think it's impossible for the dead to be raised? Why would the Corinthians have thought that, by the way? Possibly influenced by Greek philosophical culture, which sort of had a very low view of the material world. It elevated the soul, it elevated the spiritual, and said, this body is really a bit of a prison for my soul. They were very negative about the material world and the human body. So therefore, the idea that you could be resurrected to live forever in a, in a dirty body, I mean, that's just a ridiculous notion with Greek philosophical thinking. Paul's response is, you can't imagine it? You can't get your brains around it? Doesn't fit into your... How foolish are you? And then he gives an example. He gives some answers. First of all, he says... The body that is, your, is raised by God, the res, your resurrection body, is not the same as the body you have now. Have a look at verse 36. How foolish. When, uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a weed or something else. But God gives it to a body, gives it a body as He determines, and to each kind of seed He gives its own body. If you're going to, you know, plant a nice rose bush, you don't grab a rose and plant the rose in the dirt. If you're trying to grow a a, a mandarin tree, you don't grab the mandarin tree and stick the whole tree in the ground to produce a new tree. You get a seed. The body that is sown is not the same as what grows. That, I mean, that's just true in the natural world. Just look around you, crazy Corinthians. It's not as though the body that God will bring out of the grave is the same as the one that goes in the grave. It can be transformed. We see that transformation all the time. Think about a little seed. I mean, they're not... I'm not a biologist, right? They're not terribly interesting. You know, a little seed here. But look at the amazing plant that grows. Look at that huge tree. Look at that amazing fruit. Look at those beautiful flowers that grow. What grows is far, far different from what you plant. And the glory, the splendour of that thing that grows. He then has a second example. He says it's, it's certainly possible for God to raise the dead because think about all the different sorts of bodies that God has put even in the natural world. Have a look there. He says in verse 39, All flesh is not the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendour. That is, he's saying even if you just look in the natural world around you, you can see different sorts of glory, different sorts of splendour. I mean, think for a moment about the splendour of the sun. Think about the splendour of the moon. If God can give different sorts of splendour to different sorts of bodies you can see here, do you think it would be possible that he could raise you from the grave and give you a resurrection body with appropriate splendour and glory for eternity? Of course he could do that. Oh, foolish Corinthians. These days, um, people probably don't have that same objection to the resurrection. That, you know, a, a, 
a disregard of the material world or a downgrading of sort of um, the, the body. That's probably not the scepticism people have today about the resurrection from the dead. The one I've heard is people saying, our scientific understanding says that death is necessary for life. Just when you look at our own bodies, our, our bodies are in a constant state of cells dying and then cells being created or, or growing, that you need death in order to have this life. You need it in the natural world. You need death, in order, decomposition, in order to have life. So this idea, this Christian idea that you could be raised and never die, that doesn't make any scientific sense. I've heard that objection before. But I want to pause and just think about it for a moment. The picture in the New Testament is not merely of human beings being resurrected immortal, but living in a mortal type world. The picture in the New Testament is much grander, much more grand. Paul doesn't talk about it here in 1 Corinthians 15, but in Romans chapter 8, he talks about the whole natural world, as we currently experience it, has been subjected, he says, to decay because of human sin. It's not just human bodies that are decaying, the entire natural order is decaying because of human sin. However, what he says in Romans 8 is that when human beings are resurrected at the return of Jesus, that creation itself, he says, will enter into the freedom, that is freedom from decay, the freedom enjoyed by the children of God. God's plan is to transform the entire created order. Human beings resurrected with no more decay in a creation, a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth with no more decay. There is going to be coherence in God's plan between humanity and the new creation. In the same way, sadly at the moment, there is coherence in our common decay because of human sin. That is God's response to the problem of sin in our world. Possible. What was the second point? Do you remember? Certain. Possible. Yes, it's possible. Paul then develops his argument. It's not just possible. Resurrection is certain. Have a look at verse 42. He says... Well, actually, my translation says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. That's a poor translation. Literally, he just says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. I think that matters because at this particular point, he's saying resurrection isn't just possible. He's saying it is certain. This is what I've just described. That is what happens with respect to the resurrection of the dead. And he is looking both back to Jesus' resurrection and forward to humanity's resurrection, to the resurrection of those who trust in Jesus. He's looking both ways. Now, do you remember this from last week? Do you remember this? Come on, do it with me. On three. Ready? Here we go. One, two. No, no, not like this. Not like this. I'm seeing some of you do it like this. This is not the... It was like this. Why like this? Talk to the person next to you. If they weren't here last week or they got it wrong, talk to them. What was the significance of this last week?
The point of this, the point of this is that this is Jesus' resurrection, and if you're a follower of Jesus, your future bodily resurrection. They are inextricably intertwined. We talked about last week. Inextricably intertwined. You cannot have one without the other. You can't have our resurrection if you're a follower of Jesus without Jesus' resurrection. And you and one guarantees the other. Jesus is the first fruits of the great harvest of resurrection bodies to come. Your resurrection, if you're a follower of Jesus, and Jesus' resurrection are inextricably intertwined. That's why he talks about here that the resurrection of believers is certain. It's already happened to Jesus, and it will happen to us. He then, uh, look at what he says halfway through verse 42. He says, the body that is sown is perishable. That is the body that dies, the body you have currently. It is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Four contrasts here, and remember, he at this point, with each contrast, he's reflecting on Jesus' resurrection as well as looking forward to ours. So how does he know these truths? How does he know these things about the resurrection body? What it's like, what Jesus' resurrection is like? Well, let's think through each of those four contrasts in turn. First contrast is really about the body's nature. It's sown, he says, perishable or corruptible. It's raised imperishable or incorruptible. So how do we know that Jesus' body is no longer perishable? That it's, it's no longer, like, that, that it's immortal? It's not going to decay anymore. How do we know that about Jesus' body? I mean, that's a pretty important truth because otherwise it's, he was just resuscitated. When you resuscitate somebody, yes, they come back to life, but they're not going to live forever. They don't have a transformed existence. How do we know Jesus was raised incorruptible? Well, the answer, I think, is because... Jesus' resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. And one of the things that we know about Jesus' resurrection body from the prophecies in the Old Testament was that he would never decay. He, he, he no longer would be subject to corruption. You can see this in, say, Psalm 16, verse 10, where the psalmist says to God, You will not let your Holy One, that is the Messiah, you will not let your Holy One see decay. And both Peter and Paul in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13 take that prophecy from the Psalms and apply it to the Lord Jesus. We know that he, he is, as the fulfilment of those prophecies, he is now imperishable. And if he's imperishable, that means you will be imperishable. Second contrast is about the, the body's status. He says it is sown in dishonour but raised in glory. Think about when Jesus died. There's not much honour in being crucified. He was, it was sown in dishonour, but raised in glory. How do we know that? Well, a couple of different things. There's a, a Psalm 8, verse 5, talks about the Messiah as the one who will be crowned with glory and honour. Think about Paul's own experience of meeting the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. If you know the story, it's there in Acts chapter 9, and Paul retells it two more times in the book of Acts, Paul says that when he encountered the, the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road, it was like the sun shining brightly in the middle of the day. Like, like, like we had a little bit today. The sun shining 
fully, so bright that he was temporarily blinded. That was the, the, the physical glory with which Jesus' resurrection body appeared to Paul. Or again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he talks about contemplating the Lord's glory. We see Jesus in all of his glory, even revealed here in Scripture. So that's the body's nature, the body's status. Third contrast is about the body's ability. He says we're sown in weakness. And again, I think the crucifixion shows you just how weak sometimes we can be. But raised, he says, in power. A couple of places you can find this. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Paul says, Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives by God's power. Or in Romans chapter 1, part of the gospel announcement is that Jesus was declared to be son of God, we're told, through his resurrection from the dead with power. And the fourth contrast here is sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Now this is the one, this is the contrast that gives people the most challenge. What does it mean to be raised with a spiritual body? Have a chat to the person next to you. What do you think sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body could mean? Have a chat to the person next to you. It's a bit tricky, isn't it? Because raised a spiritual body sounds a bit like sounds a bit like a spirit, right? It's raised a spiritual body sounds like you don't have flesh and bones. It sounds a bit bit confusing. However, go back earlier in the letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you can just flick back for a moment, these same words are used earlier in the letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3. Just at the end of chapter 2, particularly verses 14 and 15, Paul says here, he uses the same words. He says, the natural person, the natural person, he says, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them. They cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person makes judgments about all things. Do you think the spiritual person he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has a physical body? Well, yes. The spiritual, a spiritual person is not necessarily a person who is only spirit. The spiritual person is the person who has the spirit of God. Okay, so when you go back now to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, it's sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body... He's talking about the animating power of the body. I'll give you an example. What's a steam train? Is a steam train a train made of steam? No. A spiritual body is not a body made of spirit. A steam train is a train that's powered by steam. 
Our spiritual body is a body that's powered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you're a Christian person, you already have the Spirit of God in you, don't you? Amazing. God's Spirit has taken up residence in your heart because you've turned to Jesus in faith and repentance. That presence of the Spirit in your life is but a taste, the Bible says, of how the Spirit is going to fully animate you in the resurrection. You have but just a taste presently. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spirit-powered body. This is good news, all of this, for you and for me, for this whole world, who frankly have decaying bodies. I'm standing in front of you today with you know, a big bandage on my head, not just because you know, I wanted to do something to get your attention, it's just because I have a decaying body and my GP is just in the process of cutting out the bits that are particularly decayed. That's all right, it doesn't hurt, so don't, don't feel too bad for me. I'll just be thankful for good medical care because frankly, in a decaying world with decaying bodies, praise God for good medical care. If you're training to be a doctor, you're going to have no job in the resurrection. <laughs> just point that out to you, right? There's lots of, lots of things, of probably jobs you can do in the resurrection, I imagine. I imagine you could be a landscape gardener. I imagine you could be a civil engineer. I imagine you could be, uh, I don't know, could you be an astronaut? I don't know about whether you could be an astronaut. I guess, yeah, you could be an astronaut, but what you couldn't be, a lawyer and a doctor. They're the two things you won't need to be. But particularly, doctor, you won't, just not necessary. We will no longer decay. Isn't that amazing? I can see a whole bunch of you sitting here with decaying eyes, because that's why you're wearing these artificial things. We live with constant decay. We just don't like to think about it. God has a plan to address this. This is not how he wants life to be lived. This is good news for you, for me. This is good news for the world. God has a plan. Resurrection to new eternal life is not just possible. It's certain. As certain as Jesus walked out of the grave with that resurrected, transformed body, imperishable, glorious, full of power, empowered by the Spirit, that will be you. That is what God has planned for you. So, possible? Yes. Certain, necessary, necessary. Have a look at verses 50 to 53. Verse 50 to 53. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Does that verse cause you a little bit of wonder? Hang on. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Hasn't Rowan just been saying physical bodies, resurrected from the grave, walk out of your tomb? That sounds like flesh and blood, doesn't it? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I'll just make this more complicated for you for a moment, just because I know you love that. Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 39. 
This is Jesus, after he's been raised, he appears to his disciples when they gathered together. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While the disciples were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. That would have been a freaky moment. And said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Why did he say that? Well, because he still had the marks from being crucified. That's a sure way to tell it's Jesus, right? There's the marks from his crucifixion. Look, look at my hands and my feet. It's clearly me. Touch me and see. And then notice this next bit. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Hang on. If our resurrection and Jesus' resurrection is like that, and he's got flesh and bones... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul just said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So just talk to the person next to you and resolve that little bit. What's, how should we understand that? Will you just have a bit of a chat? I'll give you a whole 90 seconds on this one. come to a tricky sort of part of the Bible and you go, oh, I'm not sure what to do, what to think about here. Instead of doing this, instead of doing this, you should do this. Right? Because the answer is look more deeply in the text. The answer is always look more deeply in the text, right? To try to work it out. Have a look again at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Notice what he says. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's parallel there, right? He parallels flesh and blood with the perishable and kingdom of God with the imperishable. That is, when he's talking about flesh and blood, he's talking about your present physical perishable body. He's saying you can't enter into the imperishable, you can't enter into the kingdom of God with this perishable flesh and blood. You need transformed body. You need glorious body. The body not sown in weakness but raised in power. The body not the natural body but the one powered by the spirit. You need that body to be in the imperishable kingdom of God. And notice what he says there next. Verse 51, he says, listen. Well, he says mystery, but when he says mystery, he means I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal to you a secret. Listen, I'm going to tell you a secret. Do you want to know a secret? Do you want to know a secret? Here's the secret. We will not all die. We won't all die. Because, you know, Jesus could come back at any moment. Maybe he'll come back before your exams and you'll be so happy. 
because Jesus come back, you'll be so happy. But you'll also be tangentially happy because there's no exams. But Jesus comes back, so so maybe not everyone will die. You, we will not all die, he says. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And then his conclusion. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. If you want to be part of this future kingdom of God, this new creation with no more decay, then you have to be changed. Whether you die and Jesus calls you out of the grave or whether he comes back and you're still alive, you will be transformed. You will be changed. It's possible. It's certain. It's necessary. I don't know where you're at with the one true living God. I don't know what your relationship with Jesus is. You might have been coming along to your public meetings for quite a while. It's week 12 of the end of the year. Or maybe today's your first day. You've been brought along by a friend. I don't know where you, where you stand in relation to the living Lord Jesus who walked out of his grave and is with us today by, by his spirit. The only way you can be part of the coming kingdom of God that you can have your body transformed is if you come to him in repentance and faith. There is no other way. So if you've been trundling along with the EU or maybe just hearing about Jesus for the first time today, let me say to you, please come to him. Please turn to him in repentance and faith. Trust his promise because he is the only way that you can be part of that coming kingdom of God. And you don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to miss out on all that God has planned and promised for you as his loved creature. He wants you there. This world, by God's grace, has so many great things about it. It is nothing compared to what God has in store for us. So please don't ignore that opportunity to come to him and to enjoy what he wants to give you. Salvation, rescue, life eternal. So it's possible, it's certain, it's necessary. Finally, it's planned. This was always God's plan. Have a look at verse 44. Jump back to verse 44. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. He then says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. What's he talking about here? He's saying, well, he's comparing Adam, the original Adam, as in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's comparing Adam with Jesus. He's calling Jesus the last Adam. It's like there's two heads of two Two types of human. There's 
Adam from the Garden of Eden, and we're sort of all like Adam with perishable bodies. And then there's Jesus, who's the first fruits of the resurrected humanity. He's the last Adam, the new Adam. And then he draws the contrast between, well, what's the first Adam like and what's the last Adam like? He says there, verse 46, Well, the spiritual, that is the last Adam, did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. This is the larger plan of God. You might be like the earthly Adam now in your body, but God's intention for you is that you be like the new Adam, the last Adam, the resurrected Jesus in your new immortal body. That's God's plan. If you jump back earlier in the chapter, this is not the first time that Paul has talked about Adam and Jesus. We skipped over it last week because it was coming up again today. If you jump back to verse 21, you can see him saying, For since death came through a man, that's through Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So this is the big plan of God, to take us from in Adam and therefore in death, to in Jesus and eternally alive. That's God's plan. How does Jesus bring about that change? There's a key verse here, chapter, 56, uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 56. But to get the sense of it, I'm going to read from verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written in the Old Testament will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then he says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That little verse there, verse 56, is an insight into the plans of God that are going from the beginning of the Bible all the way through to here, involving sin, death, the Old Testament law, resurrection, all in that little verse. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, that, that idea that the sting of death is sin, what even is that? Well, just go back to the verse before. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He, it's poetry. It's, you know, just to access that HSC English exam that you, you know, from a long time ago. Death is personified in the verse, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death here is a warrior. Death is in battle. Death is wielding a sword, a sword called sin. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then he says, the sting of death is sin. If death comes at you with sin and you can somehow blunt sin such that sin can't get you, then death has no victory over you. The way death has victory over you is by sin operating in your life. Who rescues you from sin? Well, go back to the beginning of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very heart of the gospel that Paul raised in verse 3. He says, 
What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Jesus' death on the cross takes away the penalty and power of sin in our life. So that death no longer has victory over us. That will be finally brought to completion on the day when, because you've trusted in Jesus, you walk out of your grave, or if Jesus returns before then, your body is transformed into a glorious resurrection body. On that day, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? No, because now we've been given the victory in Jesus Christ. And that's how he lands this chapter. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian hope is not go to heaven when you die. The Christian hope is that you will walk out of your grave with a transformed, resurrected, physical, immortal body. That's what every believer in Jesus has been promised. That's what every believer in Jesus looks forward to. That's what's already happened to Jesus and what is certain for all those who are his followers. You will be given the victory. Not a victory you can earn. Not something you can secure for yourself. No matter, no matter how much medicine you study, you can never keep death at bay forever, can you? This victory over death is given to you by the God who loves you through the work of Jesus Christ. And how does Paul end? Thanks be to God. Praise God for the victory he gives us over death in the Lord Jesus Christ when we come to him. Thanks for listening to today's talk. The Evangelical Union, or EU, is a student club on campus at Sydney University that seeks to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. To join us or to find out more, please visit sydneyunieu.org.